it's time for In Living Writers. If there's any other way, I'll do anything for you. You've got living writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today I'm so um, pleased to say that we've got um, a veritable uh, poetry palooza that's <laughs> going to be happening here um, today in the studio. Um, uh, Sarah Messer and Raymond McDaniel are, are joining us, and by phone, Mark Wonderlich um, is is here. Mark, can you hear us? Are you are you yes. out there? Yes. Can and, hear you great. Just and, fine. And where are you actually calling from, Mark? Where I forgot to I'm, ask you that. Yeah, I'm calling from my home in uh, Catskill, New York, in the Hudson Valley. Ah, oh, good. So, so Wikipedia's bio on you is 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 up to date. <laughs> yeah, more or less. Not that it has the location of your home. Don't worry. Don't don't worry. Um, well, before uh, further ado, uh, what I'll do is I'll read the short bios um, for each of you um, and welcome you here. Welcome Sarah, Ray, uh, and and also and Mark. Um, Sarah Messer is an American poet and author. She was raised in Marshfield, Massachusetts, in a house built in the 17th century that was the subject of her book, Red House, being a mostly accurate account of New England's oldest continuously lived-in house. Messer earned her undergraduate and master's degrees from Middlebury College and the University of Michigan, respectively. She is currently an assistant professor at the University of North Carolina at Wilmington in the Department of Creative Writing. And, and the hat you're wearing as you return here to Ann Arbor, Sarah, the director of co- colored, Copper Colored Mountain Arts, um, One Pause. Yeah, One and Pause Poetry. Yeah. One Pause Poetry. <laughs> I paused too much there before <laughs> saying poetry. And then we also have Raymond McDaniel here, Michigan's own uh, Ray McDaniel, uh, born in Florida. He is an American poet, author of two poetry collections, most recently Saltwater Empire from Coffeehouse Press. His first collection, Murder, a Violet, also with Coffee House, was a National Poetry Series winner. He graduated from Michigan in 1995, Go Blue, with an MFA. He teaches here at Michigan and writes book reviews for The Constant Critic. Welcome, Ray. Welcome, Sarah. And now, Mark. And then, then I promise, I'll let you guys start talking. <laughs> I'm definitely, definitely hogging the mic here a little here. Um, Mark Wunderlich is an American poet. He was born in Winona, Minnesota, and grew up in a rural setting near the town of Fountain City, Wisconsin. He studied English and German literature at the University of Wisconsin and was a graduate student at Columbia University from which he received an MFA. He's published two collections of poetry, most recently, Voluntary Servitude with Grey Wolf. And... As we found out just a moment ago, uh, since 2004, he has been professor of literature at Bennington College in Vermont and lives in New York's Hudson River Valley. Uh, Welcome, Mark. Thanks. Thanks for calling in. And welcome, everyone. Thanks. Thank you. So, Sarah, will you tell us a little bit about One Paw's Poetry, which which is actually the occasion, National Poetry Month, and the occasion of you guys gathering here? Yeah. Um, Well... One Pause Poetry is a poetry program with Copper Colored Mountain Arts, which is a new art center that started outside of town, and our goal is to revitalize the arts in southeastern Michigan. And I was asked to um, start a poetry series, partly out of the fact that Shaman Drum has closed, and it just seems that things are kind of... <laughs> and and, and Ray, is, cry, right? Ray is sort of laughing because of the not crying bit. Because, Ray, cause you, you worked in Shaman Drum for how many years? All of the years, uh, I think. Like 30? Wait, it's from... No. Oh, <laughs> you weren't even that old. <laughs> uh, did, uh, about 12 years. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so um, some, some friends and I restored this 19th century Lutheran barn outside of town. It's on, it was generously um, leased to us from the Sogelgar Dharma Center, so we're very grateful to them. And then we had a couple of very generous donors who said, well, you know, if, if you can fix it up, we'll, we'll help you. And then 
since then we've gotten some funding from the Michigan Council of the Arts and the Ann Arbor Area Community Foundation. And <clears throat> sorry, One Pause is um, just a poetry series, and we're trying to bring poetry to the area. And it's named after the 15th century Zen master Ikkyu Sojin, whose name Ikkyu means One Pause. And he was a poet, um, Zen master. He basically revitalized the arts in medieval Japan. Everything you think about as Japanese aesthetic, like rock gardens and no theater and um, calligraphy, poetry, is all kind of partly because of Ikkyu and the artists he surrounded himself with. He was sort of a Renaissance man. And and why is he the, the spirit of this place, <laughs> Well, Well, um, I like to say that in his time period, if you didn't, know poetry, read poetry, write poetry, you weren't really considered human. So we kind of want to aspire to that. Um, <laughs> and now it's the reverse. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm being hopeful about, so. Um, and I have, and yeah. Sarah, you're you're actually based in Willington, North Carolina. Right. And so, because that's where you're teaching right now in the, the, yeah. the creative writing program. So how how is that working with like one foot in both places or? Well, I'm kind of, you know, academic poets are kind of like migrant workers. Like I kind of go <laughs> where, the, where the job is. And um, so my heart is here in Michigan, but I have a, a job in North Carolina. So I come back and forth and um, it's been, you know, a little busy, but. I love it. So. But, but really, but your heart is, is here in Michigan. Did yeah. it Yeah, and it this, start? with this program, and um, everybody who works at Copper Color Mountain Arts is volunteer, and um, we just do it out of a labor of love. And Ray was telling me, I guess I've wanted to do this for, I've known Ray for like 16 years, and he told me that I was talking about this. It's true. Like 16 years ago, we were driving around outside <laughs> in the outskirts of Metropolitan and Arbor, and we passed a barn. And as we were passing the barn, you said, you know what I want to do? I really want to get a barn and renovate it and just make it a barn of awesomeness and just have, <laughs> and just have events there and fill it with art and light and loveliness and bunnies. And, and look, that's what she did. I know. I, I forgot that. <laughs> so it's good that... That um, Ray reminded me. <laughs> and Mark, were you there in the car as well, along for the the the, the barn ride? Oh, only in spirit, but um, Sarah's been talking about renovating barns for a long time. <laughs> she has. Thank you. Okay, okay, fine, fine. <laughs> yeah. Finally did it. Yay. Oh, I know, when 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 I bought uh, this house here, it, it has a 19th century barn on it, and and that was the thing I think that excited Sarah the most. Yeah, you have an awesome barn. <laughs> <laughs> and are all barns also for, for poetry or sometimes the animals too, Sarah? Oh, I definitely like animals, yeah. There there's there's a lot of animals in my poetry. <laughs> and you've just and you've just translated this this. Oh poem yeah, I thought from... I would read a poem. Um I've been working on some translations of Ikkyu. Uh I've been so fortunate to work with Kidder Smith, who's a, a Chinese scholar. Ikkyu wrote in classical Chinese, even though he was Japanese. Um because <clears throat> that was the language of literature at the time. So I thought I would read a little poem. It's very short. It's only four lines, but it has a little introduction. Um, so you get a sense of who Ikki was. Um, <clears throat> it's called On a Cold Night, Sorrow for the Bird of Snow Mountain. Once there was a two-headed bird named Joint Fate who lived on Snow Mountain. One head was tranquil and ate well, while the other was agitated and ate poorly. Why does the other head always get good food and I get none, the agitated head said, eating poison weeds. When the bird flew off looking for food, it would forget its way back to the nest. Both heads died at the same time. Morning comes koan, evening comes, repeating again and again, seeking food, always forgetting its nest, past karma's deep. Day and night, everyone is the bird of Snow Mountain. Suffering, suffering in the lowest hell. The moon is sinking. It's not a cheery poem, <laughs> but well, it's beautiful. I I am surprised because I thought it was going to have something more to do with like the the mission of the barn. But oh it, no, it's, it's not. about it's, a bird it's, but and it's a beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Well, when, what is what's poetry <laughs> except a mouthful of poison weeds? Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> the two, <laughs> That's two-headed. totally how I'm going to describe my general disaffection. And I sport. like the two-headed part. That's yeah. how I feel. I like the mouthful of poison weeds. Mm -hmm. Mark, what part do you like? <laughs> um, 
both heads died at once. <laughs> it's another cheerful hour on Living Writers. <laughs> well, well, could you, Sarah, could you tell everyone a little bit, because it's, it's, it is still April, National Poetry Month. Right. And so you're, you're bringing together, you've already had... Um, Clayton Eshelman, and could you tell us a little bit yeah, about the program well, and the well, celebration? We just wanted to have a lot of poetry for National Poetry Month, and so we had Clayton Eshelman came first, and he gave a talk on the Paleolithic Caves and showed slides and then read some poetry. And then he came back the next day. We're doing this. One of the things we're doing is we're having readings, but then the next day we're having what's called Conversations with Poets, where we interview them. I'm going to ask you all ten questions. And, um, and I ask... I, ask Clayton these questions and then he responded and we recorded and we're going to be putting together an archive project where we're archiving the readings and the conversations um, and not just for one pause hopefully for any reading of poetry in Ann Arbor so we get kind of like a kind of like pen sound kind of like an archive of of this place of poetry in this place and so this is the Ann Arbor Community Foundation is helping us with this it's very much of an Ann Arbor poetry map um, so anybody who comes to read through Ann Arbor whether it be the neutral zone or the U of M or um, eastern Michigan you know this whole area that's the goal anyway um, so the first one was with Clayton and um, he it was great he's amazing he's really brilliant um, he didn't like a lot of my questions but that was good because then he'd be like that's a terrible question but then he would answer it brilliantly so it was good <laughs> So it wasn't actually a terrible question, I don't think. So are, are we going to get the same ten yeah. questions? Yeah, you are. All right. Well, I'll just I'll just def, I'll just wait until Mark and Monica have answered their ten, not <laughs> so fair. I can customize. I can build accordingly. <laughs> They're not hard questions. Um, and and uh, that's actually coming up this week. That's um, right. Thank um, you. That it's coming up. So. Right after Clayton, we had Jerome Rothenberg, who came and read last weekend. And then this weekend, on Friday at 7 o'clock, Ray, Monica, and Mark are reading um, in the Red Barn that I restored last summer with a bunch of other people, uh, which is 7101 West Liberty. Uh, way out Liberty, the dirt road, you got to watch out for the big potholes, and um, but c- come on out there uh, at 7 o'clock, and they'll be reading. There'll be a book signing and reception. Um, it's a really beautiful space. Um, to read. And then the next morning at 1030, there's a conversation um, with Mark, Monica, and Ray. And that's also open to the public. And it's really interesting. We just sit around and um, last time we had people with chairs on the stage and um, people ask questions and The 17th century house mm-hmm. um, from Warren Hatch, right? Right. The family. Yeah. Yeah. But but um, how did Michigan, um, I don't know, embed itself into your heart? Well, I did come here for the MFA program and I did fall in love with Ann Arbor. Um, and then I, you know, in order to make a living, I had to leave. But um, yeah, I, I've just, there's something about the Midwest that I really love. Um, and there's a lot of people here who I really love. And so I just keep coming back. <laughs> oh, well, I'm so glad you did. And thanks for thanks to you and, and Ray for joining me in the studio today on Living Writers. And Mark from afar in the, the Hudson uh, River Valley. We're going to take a short break. Today on the program, um, Mark Wunderlich joins us um, by phone. Ray McDaniel is here in the studio. Sarah Messer is here in the studio. Um, I'll actually quickly mention um, the books, too, so that you can run out and get yourself some poetry books. Sarah Messer's Bandit Letters um, is available and Ray's Saltwater Empire. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be right back. Byron men, Byron men, 
I'm T. Hetzel. You've got Living Writers. Um, thanks to Brian Delaney, DJ Blackout for engineering, um, making us sound good. Today in the studio, Sarah Messer and Raymond McDaniel um, join me, and Mark Wunderlich is on the line. Um, what we thought we'd do now is read some poems. Um, uh, Sarah, would you like to read first uh, from Bandit Letters? Sure. Do you have one? And then, then Ray, and then... then then Mark? Sure. Wonderful. <laughs> okay, I'm going to just read the first poem in the book, which is called Starting With That Time. And um, these are poems about bandits <laughs> in, the, in the 19th century. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, why did you choose, because they seem to be in some ways persona poems where you're stepping into these yeah i'm not a 19th century bandit so <laughs> although your attire says otherwise sarah oh right right yeah <laughs> i'm wearing some boots today um <laughs> i like I, I just was interested in this character of the outlaw and um in american mind you know what who that person is and then also who falls in love with the outlaw and then and then i just started mixing up the gender and what if the outlaw is a woman and the the lover is a man, and, and what if they're two women or two men? You know, so I sort of started mixing that up, and um, it became kind of interesting. So this one um, is called Starting With That Time. Starting with that time, he shot a man in Mendota for calling him pretty. Hey, pretty, your hair is like spun sunshine. And then the man fell down dead. Son of a tinsmith, he had inherited those quick but delicate hands and always went for his revolver as quick and absent-mindedly as an itch, the same way he went for those squirrel-boned women even smaller than himself, with breasts like shallow teacups. As an outlaw, he fell in love with the wrong women, a seamstress who sniffed glue, who sewed her own sleeves to her arms and flew off a bridge, a sad-faced war nurse, a rich northerner who carried her father's jawbone in her purse, each one disappearing more from herself until he found that he was mostly in love with the shadow of a dress, a wrist or the outline of a mouth pressed to the glass on the window of the next train leaving town. In the meantime, he killed any man who could ever be called his friend, ambushed the town of Independence, killed 12 at Olathe, 20 at Shawnee, tied the scalps of those he suspected most to his horse's bridle and rode west. The mayor of Lawrence, Kansas, suffocated in a well beneath his own house as the whole town burned, the contents of every train and wagon turned over. In the end, he came to me because I was the timberline, way out west, the last stand of trees. Each night I told him about the guns hidden in my house, a forty-four caliber in the chamber pot, a rifle beneath the stairs, bird guns between folded linen, revolvers hidden in drawers, on shelves, the four boudoir pistols plastered in walls, wrapped in the hair of dolls. He hid himself inside the sheen of Smith & Wesson, the one-breech double-barrel Winchester, my only navy colt. 
He hid because I was the hideout, the inert and sturdy home, where he polished his thoughts, the timber of each trigger, the powder in the coffee tin, the bullets in the freezer. In the end, I was the safest place for him to put his mouth. Thank you, Sarah. Sure. <laughs> um, and, and that poem, that was that that project came together for you, did it in Provis, Provincetown? Is that yeah, it? yeah, it did. Um, I, I, you know, I went here to the MFA program, and what I tell my students, and what I told that we have some great interns from the MFA program who are helping at One Pause, um, Audra Plachowski and Paula Henna, and um, their Paula just handed in her thesis today. Yay, Paula! <laughs> um, and I told her like the only two words remain from my thesis. Like so, I left, and they're Butte and Demerol. There's horse dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. Um, that's where I met Mark. Actually, um, the first day I got there, I met Mark, and it was we've been friends ever since. Um, and, and Mark was there at the same time yeah, with a fellowship. Yeah, a fellow. Yeah, and um, so. I just started over, and and it all kind of came together there. And at the point, at that point, you felt like you needed to start over, or yeah, I felt like I was really sick of. I was writing a lot of confessional poetry, poetry about myself, and I was just really tired of that voice. And then I was writing a bunch of persona poems about colonial women who were left by their whaler husbands, and it was just they were kind of whiny, and um, I was sick of that too. So. These bandit ones were a little more feisty, and this one that I read is actually based on Quantrill, um, who mm. Quantrill's raiders, and he was apparently very slight and effeminate and a school teacher, um, and but was very evil. She's and, looking right at me. I'm not <laughs> okay. I am slight, somewhat effeminate, very evil. <laughs> awesome. Thanks. <laughs> and you chose it to frame the book as the opening poem. Yeah. And and I think it's it's interesting because you said all these possibilities of um lovers and pairings and possible evil doer bandits um and this this guy is actually one that's he's crossing through all those boundaries in the first poem. Yeah. Well, but one thing though that bandit letters does is it sort of takes it sort of really steals from these all of these sort of myths and um, stories of bandits and kind of smushes them around. And so the bandit is a kind of a amalgamation of these different people. So I don't really want you to, people to know that it's actually Quantrill, although it is Quantrill. Like I can tell you that like the whole burning of Kansas is him. He did that. So some of the stuff you'll like if you know um, what was that movie that just came out with the. The girl and the horse and the long braids. True grit. Yeah, that one. Yes. <laughs> um, the the girl and the horse <laughs> and the long braids. Wildfire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's another one that I love too. Well, in that movie, I went with somebody, a friend of mine, maybe my friend Amy. I think I just like was like, oh my god, they just mentioned Quantrill. I was like a complete nerd, and I was freaking out because I'm like, and do you know why that he's a Texas Ranger and why that's significant? It was it was really annoying. <laughs> But um, none of that's really in here. It kind of gets erased. Um, well, which is interesting because then it seems like in later projects you worked in erasures and, yeah. and, and found right. pieces of language and using... Uh, yeah, kind of like a magpie. I kind of like to steal little things and mush them in with my own contemporary words. So. I, and you came... Were you always writing poems, Sarah, from when you were a, a little girl? Because you were a ballerina for a chunk of time. How do you know that? Because <laughs> I have researched you, <laughs> my lady. Wow. Um, yeah, uh, no, I was a ballerina. Yeah, I was a serious ballerina until I was about 20. And then it didn't work out. And so then I needed an, an equally fruitless thing to pursue for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, by fruitless, you mean financially viable. Yeah, not financially <laughs> yeah, right. viable. Yeah. Like, I'd say, what should I do? Be a mime? Hmm. <laughs> make pottery um, there were already too many mimes the in the jewelry, family jewelry making was too lucrative <laughs> jewelry, I, I did do yeah, yeah, I, I think I, yeah i did make some jewelry for a while but yeah it was too i made too much money at that so uh yeah i um i wrote stories when i was a little kid so and now i write st poems and stories so 
you seem very interested in the narrative, like some yeah. trajectory mm-hmm. of things and creative nonfiction. Yeah. That's also mm-hmm. one of your passions. Mm-hmm. Well, lovely. Okay. Well, we'll talk more with you Great. in a bit, Sarah. Um, Ray, um, you are a friend of the show. Um, and so thank you for coming on again. <laughs> My pleasure. Thank you. And and the last time you were here, we, we actually heard a little bit from Murder of Violet. And we talked a bit about Saltwater Empire. Um, would you, and, and I love that it's Saltwater Empire, um, the Florida connection always binds us together, Ray McDaniel. Yes. Um, would you mind reading one of the poems from the book? Uh, we can get a sense of the voice. This is, this is a bit of... This is a bit mushed together as well. This is kind of a mashup of some of the Loire, the Voodoo, Pantheon, and the Justice League of America. (coughs) Awesome. (laughs) It's called Undine Detail. My suitor's the sea, but I'll only be the bride of a sailor man. Isn't this analog world good enough for Agwe, who dresses like Aquaman? Doesn't Agwe ride on a great purple seahorse? No. He drives an atom-powered submarine that bristles with laser guns. Angry Agwe will boil the sea to coral. Angry as a pufferfish, stiff with quarrel. Then the sunken spires will be as sharp as spines. A sound city for a girl made of brine. Thank you. Thanks, Ray. And so that I, I love how that, that superhero voice is, is getting in there. And, and the, the placement of that poem is towards the end of the book. And is that, hmm, was, was that intentional? Well, obviously it was because that's where you put it. But, <laughs> but for that, that's, um, that sort of voice of um, that fighting back voice coming in at that moment, was that important for the arc of how you constructed? Because maybe say a few words about Saltwater Empire to to ground listeners in, in the book's mission? Uh, some, somebody described it once. I thought this was, I think they meant it as a negative judgment, but I thought it was actually uh, quite perceptive uh, that it reads like several different chap books about similar subjects that have somehow been stitched together. Uh, and, and so near the end of the book, that character... Right. Um, the uh, the girl called Undine, who has appeared in a poem of her own earlier in the manuscript. Um, I just wanted to I just wanted to revisit her uh, because there was something about focusing on the scale of just one individual, right? Uh, one person and her her kind of fanciful experience of uh, of herself and of the world. There was something about that reduction in scale that I thought was really important as the book began to conclude. Even though I also think that the closer you get in composition to the end of a book, the less reason you have for doing anything, because you're just thinking, oh, my God, this needs to be over. Right, stop, book. Just, <laughs> yeah, just, just finish. So I think, the, I think the ends of books are always kind of strange in that way. And that poem seems hopeful, too. Well, you know, I think it's hard to think about someone on a giant purple seahorse without feeling hope. <laughs> And that's that's what that's what I look forward to seeing. I, I don't know about you. The thrill of abandon, crashing through the waves. <laughs> well, I mean, if you if you've never seen Aquaman on that giant purple seahorse, I don't know if I feel confident saying you've actually lived. Sarah, have you seen said seahorse riding Aquaman? I'm sorry to say that I haven't. Mark, how about you Your out life there? Has yet to begin. I know. It's I, I think I have seen that actually. It's that good, sounds isn't very it? familiar, yeah. The, who was your, uh, who or who is your favorite super friend, Mark? Hmm, boy, you know, um, I can't answer that. I, I can't. I, I would have to revisit my um, my super friends in order to answer that. I, that that didn't play such a large role in my in my life. I was. I don't know, too self-involved to uh, reach out to the... Who were your your heroes then, Mark? Well, I was a, you know, I was definitely kind of a sword and sorcery nerd as a kid. I mean, pretty, pretty seriously, right? And, um, you know, 
wore like a Frodo lives button for uh, <laughs> you know probably the a, a good ten years of through my adolescence. And this was before the film too. <laughs> yeah, back when it was cool. <laughs> yeah, um, like when we learned Elvin on the back of the bus. <laughs> Oh yeah. yeah, right. Um, so yeah, that was uh, you know I was um, very kind of deeply wrapped up in a in an inner world that involved those those kind of characters. So um, you know I, I think that if I had heroes, it was probably probably involved those. But I had a very you know a very vivid fantasy life as a kid, which sustained me. When you say as a kid, does that mean that it's faded? Because as a, as a poet, I would say. Um, that's not ever anything you have to walk away from, right? Well, I would I would say I'm still you know have a pretty vivid fantasy life and and uh, you know can can be extraordinarily self involved in that way. So I think that's something a lot of okay, a wait, lot of wait, poets wait. share. Wait, so of of all the species of Middle Earth, you were you were drawn to elves, weren't you? You were an elf junkie. <laughs> well, probably, yeah. I would say that's where where. Definitely. I can definitely say that. I wanted to say something a little more interesting, but I, I would have to say it was definitely the elf. <laughs> Mark, do you do you have a poem ready by any chance from Voluntary Servitude? Sure. Um, and uh, I was thinking about this one for as sort of a springtime poem. It's called Lamb. Inside the sheep's hot center, lambs tangle. Soft joints press a tender twin. I am brought to the barn, soap my arm in a sink. Orion stabs the sky with his arrow of ice. I unwrap one sister from her awakening sister, carefully, for the flesh is tender, and this is an animal will. Hand in the cave where blood shapes into another, I will bring them forth bleating into January. Good shepherd, I will shelter them from fangs, chase stray dogs with a gun, turn them onto grass in spring. They will come when I call, press against woven wire, even though I call them to the gleaming hook. Thank you, Mark. Um, that that was Mark Wonderlook, and he is joining us um, from the Hudson River Valley. Uh, you've got living writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today on the program also, Sarah Messer and Raymond McDaniel. We're going to take a short break. You've got WCBN-FM Ann Arbor, and we'll be right back. Two, one, two, three, four. If you're just tuning in, hooray. We're glad to have you listening today on the program on Living Writers um, here in the studio, Sarah Messer and Raymond McDaniel. And joining us from... From right here. I'm right here, T. Right. Oh, oh. Nope. <laughs> well, uh, yes, Mark, joining us from the Valley of Lot Lorien. <laughs> and, and that's and and that voice you hear coming in over the phone line is Mark Wonderlick. Um, Mark, thanks for reading that wonderful uh, lamb poem. Um, Sarah started to to tell us while we were off air for a moment that uh, you are no stranger to the country life. Uh, th that's true. I, I grew up on a farm in Wisconsin, so um, that you know that that the, the poem I just read is um, uh, it, it's it's all true, right? So 
um, yeah, I have um, grew up in in the country and uh, on a farm and and live kind of in the in a rural location now again. So after spending many years in cities, um, I've returned to a rural setting. And and Sarah, when you said when Mark had this sort of this this lovely quality, he would walk into your house and yeah, and Mark Mark is amazing because he could walk into the Red House, which was built in 1647, and my family's very strange, but Mark walked in there, and he was able to talk to my dad about his antique gun collection and taxidermy collection, and then he could talk to my mom about how to make jam and how to knit and make quilts, (laughs) and then we could talk about, you know, the sheep giving birth and the goats, and, like, (laughs) it was sort of a, he has an amazing range (laughs) of abilities. When I met him for the first time, he actually had this really beautifully decayed deer head, taxidermy deer head, uh, that he had tucked under his arm, and somehow managed to make it look like the most elegant finishing of the whole ensemble. So that was, yeah, that was my initial mark encounter. Was it instead of a backpack? <laughs> Why was the deer head under your arm, Mark? Can you even remember? Well, I, I believe it wasn't I delivering it to someone in Michigan. I think yeah, it was a were, goat head, actually, wasn't it? It was a goat. It was a goat. It was uh, a, goat. It was a Spanish goat. You were delivering it uh, to uh, to Christine. Ray. Too. To Christine, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was I was trying to. I, at the time, time, I had kind ago. of a large taxidermy collection. <laughs> You do, Mark? You have a large taxidermy collection? Well, I, I did. I did. And um, it, it kind of um, interfered with dating. So I, I decided to kind of get rid of it and, and uh, have, have since gotten rid of much of my taxidermy. But, um, uh, uh, yeah, and so I, I gave one to um, a friend, Christine, who is in Michigan. And, yes. um, and I think that's, I, that's when I met Ray. Oh, oh, that's lovely. Well, what a great way to meet. And Christine's also been on the program with her daughter. So it's um, it feels like a nice uh, sort of poetry family here, which is what Copper Colored Mountain Arts and One Paws is, is really what you're, what yeah, you're we're, trying to we're encourage trying to and build. We're trying to bring a lot of different kinds of people together. We're trying to kind of bring the different poetry communities together. We had Christine reading, um, Christine Hume reading in the fall and... She brought Julie Carr, and then we had Sabrina Oramark and Joel Brower, and um, we had Nathaniel Mackey, um, who is an amazing poet, came out. So we're trying to, we have a big range of different kinds of poets, and um, I'm always open for ideas. People should visit our website. And um, What is the website? Um, www.ccmarts.org. And um, there's a beautiful sculpture show going on there right now, Tad McKillop's sculptures um bronzes um are in the garden so and if you google copper colored mountain arts yeah you'd also get right to the website Mm -hmm. and and what's going on during between the events sarah is it um are there are there times in the day where where people can just drive out liberty and go visit the barn maybe write some poems of their own like are there uh, well right now i think that um that it's only by appointment and i think it's it's you can email for an appointment to see the sculpture garden or on saturdays but we're going to have some events coming up in june there's going to be a b- bunch more art events in the summer and in june i think june 17th uh, keith taylor um and I actually haven't asked her yet, but Laura Kashishki, I'm hoping, will read. And then in the fall, we have Franz Wright, who's coming um, on September 23rd. Well, all of this so. is very exciting. And, and maybe that's a way that this, this barn is going to grow in the future, like more aspects of, instead of um, being for the occasion of poetry, yeah, well, actually, it'll be more community. We're going to be having some classes this um, summer, too. And... Um, some of them are already up on the web, some art and drawing classes, um, and there will be some poetry classes up there, too, I promise. <laughs> so um, that's something to look forward to. And yeah, and we also sometimes have music events, and it's really, uh, our spirit is of collaboration and kind of the Bauhaus model that there's no higher or lower art between arts and fine arts and crafts. And uh, our name is really kind of stolen from Black Mountain, so Black Mountain College in North Carolina. Um, and this is really the vision of uh, a couple of people, um, not not me, I kind of came to it a little later, uh, have been thinking about this for over 10 years and have really, finally, it's it's coming together. So it seems new, but it's actually not that new. It's been in the works for a while, um, kind of vision of a few people um, who really want to have a place that's not the university and not uh, a bookstore, although Shamandrum was a great place. But um, this... 
we're trying to create something new. Um, well, that's uh, not that, a new space, not in those spaces. And it's been, and the organization as it is, like it's been in people's minds for years. Yeah. But for two years, it's been itself, but then for one year in the barn. Right. So it, it's the, growing. Right. This is like a, mm-hmm. a, a wonderful time. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's it's We've had so much support. We have about 40 volunteers who, who give their time. We couldn't do it without them. I mean, it's really, and without the support of the community um, and the state of Michigan and all sorts of other beings so well well writers and 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 poets they they need a place to connect and um I'm, I'm definitely a firm believer in that before i moved here to ann arbor i worked at richard hugo house in seattle mm-hmm. and that place is just was literally like a like a godsend for so many people to, and i mean that's that seems to be overstating it <laughs> but it's it's not mm-hmm. like the a place where people can be creative or, or at least feel encouraged to try yeah. is so, so vital for a community. Yeah. The, and, the thing I, I admire about this is that usually when you don't have any particular mandate, like a bookstore wants to bring in as many people as possible, so it tends to be you know, somewhat indiscriminate in that way. But when people are free to choose, they tend to choose some version of their own kind. Right, however they define their own kind. And one of the things that's kind of admirable and encouraging about this is that there doesn't really seem to be any aesthetic agenda. Right? It doesn't prioritize a particular school or community of poetry or poets uh, or of art in general, which is really nice to see. Yeah, and so, you know, you come to the poetry reading and you will walk by what's going to be the glass bead studio. And then behind that is a pottery studio. And then when there's not a poetry reading upstairs, there's life drawing. And so um, the, the reception is in the Mosaics studio. So it's pretty cool. So that stuff is just there, you know? So it's all kind of together. Well, definitely. It's time has come. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Mark, have you seen it yet? No, I haven't. I've, uh, this will be my first, uh, the first sight of it I will get is when, uh, when I arrive there on Friday. Uh, we'll roll on that day. Well, let's have a poem before, because we're going to be taking a, a short, short break in a moment. But um, Mark, would you like to read us one of one of your new poems? Sure. Um, I will. Let's see here. Um, I, I've been writing a, a number of poems that are uh, based on a, a 19th century book of prayers. Um, and uh, I, I won't go too much into it. I'll just go ahead and read the poem. This is called Prayer for a Journey by Sea. Look at me from your pitiless distance. Look at me as I give myself to the feral sea, where I hang between atmosphere and the hidden sands below. Your fool in this plaything of a boat, which may no longer save nor salvage. See me here, face in my hands, wet with spray and sweat, sick with the knowledge of my unworthiness. The wind pitches, waves break where they will, neither soil nor stone beneath me, while overhead the dumb sky strips off its wet shirt and tosses it to the wind's hands. I beg you, push up my chin with your thumb and press your bearded cheek to mine. Settle me with the dark soil of your eyes, you who made us and all the other pieces of the damaged world. What we men offer each other is nothing compared to your cold body lying down atop my own, prostrate on the deck, your breath humid in my ear. Last night I dreamt the ship grew down and pinions, a hard and rubbery bill, while the prow shook itself into the neck of a swan. I clung to its back like a louse, and we flew feet drawn up into feathers, the glacier of night creeping by beneath us. I have forsworn all the others, feel you tightening me to your large thighs, nothing left to keep us apart. I am your little ram burying his muzzle in the thick grass of your pasture, folded by you at night, herded by day, a dedicated dog nipping at my hocks. The day will come for you to draw the bright sickle of the moon across my woolly throat. Do it with love, without regret. Oh, that is gorgeous. <laughs> oh, thank wow. you, Mark. 
An ocean. Mark, that's amazing. An, an ocean love poem. <laughs> Truly lovely. Well, Mark, um, thank you for reading that. We'll we'll take a short break and then we'll come back um, for uh, a bit more living writers. You've just heard a new poem by Mark Wunderlich, uh, which is actually a great um, a setup for some poems to come this Friday and Saturday. Also in the studio today, Sarah Messer and Ray McDaniel. We'll be right back. I'm T. Hetzel, and today on the program, Sarah Messer, Raymond McDaniel, Mark Wunderlich. Um, let's hear some more poems, guys. Ray, grace us with a poem. Okay, this <laughs> uh, this is from my my next book, which should be out in just under a year, and all the poems in it are commentary on the Legion of Superheroes, which is the, the longest-running serial narrative in popular culture. Uh, this, this is called The Menace of Dream Girl. Saturn Girl's a stickler for protocol. She summons all our far-flung legionnaires for meeting. Calling all, calling all legionnaires, she's a reminder. So we sit and sit still for readings of the Constitution. Clause 6, subclause 3 requires that every legionnaire use language learning machines to blah blah. Monel maintains perfect posture. Triplicate Girl nearly falls asleep. Finally, the new applicants arrive. Sizzling sons. That dream girl's dreamy, all right. The boys go all googly, but thank God for Saturn girl. Prissy, proper, impatient. I'm sorry, but dreaming isn't a superpower. But the boys, smitten, sweaty, overrule. Nuranal dreams terrible menace. Eggs hatching, reeking beasts in the desert. Metropolis spaceport blown to bits. When the vote comes, it all falls along gender lines. Yay, boys and nay, ladies. But crises wait not for courting. The Iron Curtain of Time persists, but by now, she's an unmanageable bitch. She mission accompanies Lightning Lass, who somehow loses her powers. It doesn't stop there, either. Dream Girls read the rules rightly. Suddenly, she's Claws Queen, speaking Law French and all those stupid sub-clauses. She takes us out, one by one. She uses the Vondra Aurora to turn us into super infants. Who knows what motivates pretty people, but the boys are surely sore about it now. Turns out Nura had dreamed an unclear dream. She saw us die and sought to save us, for how can harm come to legionnaires no longer? In the end, it's a compromise. Sorry for the confusion, she says. 
Won't you reapply? Starboy asks. And Dream Girl says maybe later. But she's Dream Girl. She knew, even then. Unfair, her future that once was ours. Thank you, Ray. That was great. Oh. Well, that's uh, that's so so wistful there. <laughs> yeah. Can I ask Ray a question about the about the poem? Would you, Mark? Please. Um, how Ray? How did you uh, come to to write about superheroes as a you know as a as a kind of a, a frame for the the poetic exercise? I mean, what is that? What what did that kind of? How did that transpire? Uh, the the thing that's m- most interesting to me is is this particular group of superheroes because the uh, it's a, a legendarily uh, kind of cultish comic book. Um, uh, so it's it's in a mainstream universe, but it's always been on the fringe. And the idea behind it is that uh, they it's composed of teenagers. Uh, and they all come from different planets, and each planet has its own ability, and some of them have powers by accidents. But it's set a thousand years in the future. So what you have is a 50-year record of what we thought the future would be like in a thousand years. Uh, and so, and so, it's always had this, you know, simultaneously this kind of weirdly progressive element, and uh, but it also kind of creates its own nostalgia as it goes. Uh, and I was also interested in how. You tell stories about characters when you have like forty or fifty main characters, and you tell and you tell stories about them for half a century. Right? How you know? How do you how do you keep it new? What stories get get retold? Wow. And there was just I think there was something about it that just kind of appealed uh, to the collector in me. Yeah. Right. Not any one big thing, but lots of tiny things that you can be a legionnaire by having a power like bouncing boy or matter eater lad. Um, <laughs> there's, there's just something there's just something really I don't know goofily egalitarian about it uh, that always that always appealed to me. Anything can be a power if used improperly or properly. Well, don't don't trifle with Matter Eater Lad. He's yeah, it's no no joke. <laughs> well, on that on that note, <laughs> with fair warning from Ray McDaniel, um, Sarah, would you would you read one of one of your new ones. Yeah, I have a very short poem that I think it kind of, it's it sort of touches on both of the subjects. It has like an ocean in it and it has a supernatural being in it. Uh, it's called Excuse. Excuse. I had rejected every soft-handed suitor, but then one night, you with your mitts and sandpaper. In the morning, my mother found the scallops you left on the beach. Then the seal, the basket of salmon like this each night for weeks. She was anxious to meet you. She rose early to greet you, but saw only a bear lurching out of the waves. We were discovered. You carried two whales in your paws and dropped them. You turned into a rock. A supernatural being of the sea, that's what I tell people now when they ask me about my black veil, my net and stockings. You can still see the spot where he dropped the whales, I say. You can still see the rock. It's become a national landmark. I love it. <laughs> I've never read that out loud before. <laughs> World premiere. I haven't seen it so long. That's exciting. <laughs> I have a couple of, like, I'm married to a bear poems. So this one was <laughs> one of the bear, <laughs> married to a bear poems. <laughs> I'm so glad you read one of the bear ones. How did, how did the, the it's, bear It's a burdening first... genre. <laughs> <laughs> my, my marriage to bears. <laughs> Yes, will there be? Will it be illustrated? No, <laughs> maybe. This How, is based on a um, Native American legend, but I have a lot of myth stuff in the book. But um, there's a lot of like animal marriage to animals poems. Don't read too much into that. Um, <laughs> so, um, like marriage into animals. Don't read that. <laughs> yeah, into really. the marriage I don't know. I I um I why. Um, well, this poem, I think I wanted to have a speaker who was really um, unreliable. And so she makes up this big story about this relationship that ends. Um, so that's the way I looked at it. But uh. Well, and it, it's lovely. It, it feels so sad. 
Oh, yeah? Yeah, at that moment. I mean, f- funny, sad. Maybe yeah. I'm just uh, feeling melancholic today, but um, especially... If- this, <laughs> this, this demonstrates the goofy autonomy of readers, because you're feeling sad, and I'm over here like, that's the awesomest true poem I've ever heard. Well, no, I'm it- reliable. You mean that isn't true? No, it no, seems it true. Yeah, because well, yeah, it feels true to me. So that's what I always do. I mean, this is actually about like a real person, but you'll never hear who it is. Maybe later. I don't know. I won't tell you. But um, it's so for me, like, so it's like erasing, 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 erasing. And then, then the trueness of the feeling is still there. But then it's like a bear and scallops and weird sandpaper hands. And connected to a, a Native American myth, yeah. too, mm-hmm. as like a s- skeletal structure mm-hmm. that you didn't erase. No, I didn't. No, Some... it's, it, it's a it's a Western Pacific Native American myth. So. And so it seems like no matter what, what sort of overlays are put on and Mark, you're still there out there too. Yeah. Right. Um, it's, it's like the concerns or the obsessions or the loves it's, it's still just all bubbling upward. Well, it's interesting cause like Mark was using the heaven letters, but like really did something different with that. I mean, something really beautiful and Ray is using the superhero world and doing something really great with that. And then, I'm always stealing other things as well, and this one was just a, a myth one. So, and, but the, and the self is always there. Yeah, I mean, I find this much more interesting than writing mm. about like you know yesterday when you didn't call me back, it really bummed me out, and then I went <laughs> and put my feet up on the ottoman and looked at the fish tank. I just like <laughs> kill myself. It's so boring. You know, so right. So it's more like. Uh, or maybe I'm just a chicken. I don't know. I have a great admiration for for confessional poets. I can't. Kim Adonisio came and read recently, and she's amazing. But I, I could never write a poem like that. Me either. Yeah. So, so she. I guess, I guess it depends on what you're going prepared to confess, mm-hmm. and what you allow yourself to know about yourself to begin mm-hmm. with. I mean, I think some of us find it in these different ways with these overlays. Mm-hmm. I think that's yeah. I, I mean, I, you know, if 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 I can chime in, the the poems that I've been working on, my my newest poems are are. Um, you know, like one of these prayer poems that I that I read, it feels to me one of the like one of the most uh, kind of exposing and uh, poems that I've ever you know that I've ever uh, written really. Even though it it also it doesn't reveal that much necessarily about the facts of my life, but it does reveal something. I, I think about um, you know my obsessions and and my inner world in a way that I, I, I find kind of embarrassing. So I think that, you know, having having a kind of overlay allows enough distance to be able to say something that's actually much more true yes. sometimes than, mm-hmm. you, you know, the, the more mundane facts of the lived life. In, in order to relieve you of your sense of embarrassment, you should know that in, in that new book, I'm hiding behind Brainiac 5, who is a lime green youth who wears a purple jumpsuit <laughs> whose whose superpower is being super smart. Yeah, so now you now you know what shame truly is. <laughs> oh well thank you all so much for being on the program today. This thank has been a too. quick thank you. Thank you. Thanks Mark. And and Sarah, right. will you you make one more announcement yes, for one out pause? Yes, come on Friday and hear Ray and Mark and the brilliant Monica Yoon will be reading at 7 p.m. at 7101 West Liberty Road, Copper Colored Mountain Arts in the Red Barn. Um, come out and hear them read. Be a part of art. Yeah. Bring your own art. Um, so thanks, thanks, T. Th- thanks, T. <laughs> it's great to see you guys. Thanks for listening out there. Thanks again to Brian Delaney. Um, and just a, a bandit letters. Uh, you can add these to your bookshelf. Uh, Saltwater Empire, uh, Voluntary Servitude. Um, and there, it sounds like there's new books on the horizon for all of you, too. So, so look for these names. Uh, Poems, poems, Sarah Messer, Raymond McDaniel, Mark Wonderlich. You've been listening to Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Until next time. You say goodbye to Mark? And then I think we get to say goodbye. Bing Crosby, wrap your troubles and dreams, take four. Castle.
shadows may tumble, that's made after all. Life's really funny that way. Sang the wrong melody, we'll play it back. See what it sounds like, hey, hey. They cut out eight bars, the dirty bastard. And I didn't know which eight bars he was gonna cut. Why don't somebody tell me these things around here? Holy Christ, I'm going off my nuts. Uh, the last bastion of freeform. WCBN FM and Abba. Sounds like a bunch of left-wing hippies to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez, that mic is on. The mic's Phil. on. Oh, my God. Turn off the microphone. This is Free Speech Radio News for Wednesday, August 29th, 2012 in Los Angeles. I'm Dorian Marina. Coming up, Hurricane Isaac causes flooding and damage in Gulf Coast communities. We'll go to New Orleans to check in on the levees and a rescue of residents in Plaquemines Parish. In Tampa, activists protest the massive spending on campaigns and demonstrate a different type of free market. And we'll take a look at the new ways campaigns are using technology and gathering personal data on voters. Those stories and more, but first, this news. I'm Jess Burns with headlines for FSRN. A special court in India's western state of Gujarat today convicted 32 people for killing Muslims during religious riots in the state a decade ago. FSRN's Bismillah Gilani reports. A senior politician in the Gujarat state government is among the 32 people convicted today. Former Minister Maya Kodnani is part of the group accused of massacring 97 Muslims in 2002. This is the first time that a leader of the ruling party in the state has been convicted in connection with the riots, which many say took place under the patronage of the state government. The Gujarat government, however, always denied any involvement.